the Maximal Meathead Podcast. We are back with another episode of the Maximum Meathead Podcast. And uh, this one is another first for MMP. I went on a bit of a social distance-ish type uh, weekend this past weekend. And I was able to sit down with a friend of mine, Mr. Paul O'Need. So those of you who don't know Paul, uh, I'm not going to try and attempt to go over his accomplishments and accolades and such. Because I will fuck them up. But uh, what I can tell you is he is one of the good ones. And he's a hell of a guy to sit and talk to. And I appreciate his time. Uh, Those of you who do know Paul, you'll know that all of that is a severe understatement. But uh, yeah, otherwise, it was a good conversation. And uh, figured I'd try something out a little bit different. I went on my own and spent a little time away. Had my birthday and stuff. But... uh, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoy the conversation, and uh, if you do, feel free to let us know. Reach out to Paul, or myself, or Joel, Maximum Meathead Podcast. Um, tag us, share us on your stuff, whatever you want to do. If not, that's cool. Either way, I hope you enjoy. My work and life has been kind of different lately, and uh, it's been a transition from purely training-related stuff to more mindset more behavior change more lifestyle wellness stuff um so i find myself kind of thinking of ways to integrate that all together into one and the clients that i've had uh for long periods of time will definitely notice a transition in like what i do lately and how i'm doing it Mm. um i have a lot a lot more discourse between both parties a lot more hey how's this feeling what are you wanting how where do you want this to go um and things like that so i mean you were a client of mine yeah what was it three four years ago four i think it was like 2015 and definitely into 2016 and then I, yeah that's when i stopped yeah so i mean back then it was very much uh this is what you're gonna do yeah you're gonna like it and it's that's how we're gonna progress forward and it's definitely the approach has changed for right. sure. The more you learn, is that based off of learning or based off of like more global sense of like integrating life based off of things that you're not dealing with even too? Like, I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. Um, you know, I come I come through it with a background of you know very science based protocols. So when you're quote unquote evidence based, you you kind of get stuck in the waters. They get a little bit muddy with this is how the science says it should work. Mm-hmm. Very rarely does it ever work that way in practice. Sure. So it's how do you integrate the art and the science together? The art being the individual difference of the, of the client or the trainee. Mm-hmm. And the science that goes along with, these are the progressions, these are the principles that we're going to apply. So it's being principle-based rather than program-based or... Right. Um, being like having a flexibility of process, but still with that framework that you're trying to work off of, um, being able to do that has yielded dividends for myself and my own training. Um, and then I'm just kind of transition that over to the clients as well. Do you have like one thing that jumps out to mind like that has definitely changed or that is like the highlight of what you realize needs to change in your programming approach? Um, 
I don't think that's just one thing. I think it's definitely uh, more dialogue. There's definitely more dialogue involved. I mean, uh, clients that I do have will tell you, like I'm, I'm talking to them three, four, five times a week now. Uh, and it's not just video critique. It's like, what's going on? Is your outside life affecting your training? It's allowed me to also implement like Metri Life into my coaching. So right. if I have clients who are willing to put in the work and use Metri Life, well then that will allow me even more information to personalize my approach in the training. Right. It's all the same questions that I ask regardless, but now I have day by day progressions of the 22 hours outside the gym that you spend. Right. And now we can truly see how those 22 hours are affecting your output. Like you can go from, you talk about maximum recoverable volume as a metric. Well, the amount of volume you can tolerate is purely dependent on the amount of volume you can recover from. So if your sleep, stress, nutrition, mood, energy levels are, are waxing and waning all the time, well, that maximal recoverable volume is, is a moving target. Yeah. So instead of having to take some super conservative approach and training well below your, your MRV, well, now we know where that's going to be based on your metrics. And then we can adjust the training to keep that volume and intensity as high as possible and undulate it with life as opposed to kind of playing behind the eight ball and making adjustments after the fact. Right. So what are your thoughts on maximum recoverable recoverable volume versus minimum effective dose in training? It's a fine line. I yeah. mean, there is a point in time where maximal recoverable volume needs to be there. Um, you talk about a meat prep. Sure. Right. So in a meat prep, you're looking at this training needs to be done if I want to achieve X goal. Right. In the off season, it's my life is going to happen and I'm going to train. How do I help them blend together? Right. So the minimal effective dose comes in of what I want to continue to make progress, but my training isn't the number one goal right now. Whereas maximum recoverable volume comes in as training is my number one goal. The goals that I have are the most important thing to me right now. How do I adjust my lifestyle to make that number as high as possible? Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess just to give an idea, what is your background? Who are you? What do you do? I guess we should have started there. Yeah. Um, Hindsight. So I am Paul O'Neill. I, uh, I guess my background would be strength and conditioning. I have a bachelor's degree in human kinetics. I have a master's in exercise science and I have a master's in sports management. I worked in the U.S. at three different schools at uh, the University of South Florida, Robert Morris University, and the University of Tampa uh, as a strength and conditioning coach. And then I transitioned back home to Canada and I was the head strength coach at Queen's University for about a year. Uh, since then, I transitioned into the online realm uh, with my company, Master Athletic Performance. And I also work full-time as a functional rehabilitation specialist. And I'm also the co-founder of One Life Incorporated and the MetroLife app. So uh, a lot on the go, yeah. um, but it also provides a lot of experience along the way. And the beefcake in the background. And the beefcake in the background. So you can follow him at meatloaf underscore beefcake underscore pork chop. <laughs> now, so this is actually something I wondered as of the other day. When I worked with you years ago, you had Paul's Powerful Pupils. Right? There's a Facebook group, yeah, yeah, whatever. So what spawned the spud of the potatoes by Paul? Um, so po yeah. 
Potato Bio Need uh, yeah. actually started with Stuart Locke. Because um, when Stu, Stu's a big dude, when he shaves his head, he kind of just looks like a big potato. Yeah. So he called himself the world's strongest potato. Mm-hmm. And then for one of their meets, all the guys, there was like five or six of the guys that were competing in the same meet, and they got shirts made for the meet. It's a, it was hashtag Potato Bio Need. Oh, yeah. And on the back was their Instagram handle. Nice. And it honestly just stuck. And I... <laughs> It's so it's so over the top. Like Paul's gym is Potato Barbell Club, yeah. and uh, I mean it's funny. People get behind it. Even like my female clients will call themselves potatoes. Um, you have a couple female clients who are who are competitors, and, and you know when they're trying to lose weight, they call themselves scalloped potatoes. Sure. So it's it's cool. It's I mean. Fun. It's funny because <clears throat> potatoes give me indigestion, so I can yeah. like barely eat them often. So <laughs> yeah, it's but, one of those. Yeah, stay away from them, but it's all you're surrounded by now. Exactly, That's just fun. potatoes. But I think it's just all for fun. Yeah, as long as people are having fun with this, for sure. Can't take yourself too seriously. No, I thought of that. I think it was a couple of weeks ago about daring or whatever. I'm like, I wonder how that transitioned because it kind of came out of nowhere. And Stu was your client, but I didn't really. Anyway, yeah. I think that's the story. It's fun. Yeah. So what do you do then? What is your current goal? Uh, let's say in life or in business, you, this is the transition period with the COVID bullshit and that. Yeah. So you've got a lot of changes. So what? what's like your major change right now versus like three months ago? So the major change right now, like I just moved back to Ottawa from Calgary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going through a bit of a personal uh, transition. Um on the life side and business side, I'm looking for as many opportunities as I can to be present. Mm. Um, and that doesn't extend to just business or just fun stuff or exciting things. Um, just life in general. Mm. I mean, when you're, I was, you know, in the mud for a long time and, uh, looking for ways to enjoy my surroundings, you know, stop and smell the roses. So yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and in training, uh, I would like to compete again. You know, I've been pretty injured for the last five years. Haven't PR'd my total in quite a while, um, but I am healthy again. I'm back training the way I want to be training and uh, feeling pretty good about it. So I think 2021 will be a really good year for me. Just keep taking my time, keep building slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll compete back at 220. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, um, at one point, I was ranked in the top 20 all-time in the 220 and 242 cl- mm-hmm. categories, um, raw with wraps. Uh, so I don't think getting back to that level is in the cards right now, just with how insane uh, powerlifting has gotten oh, lately. Fuck. I know, yeah. But uh, I'm definitely just going to keep pushing myself and trying to set some PRs. I'm, mm-hmm. not, I'm not done improving upon what I've done. And, uh, and even when I am, at this point, I'm totally okay stepping away and yeah. just trying to look jacked and tan. So that's, yeah, and that's something, I mean, when I worked with you, I had to step back or that was my plan anyways with house and stuff too, but it's a hard thing to try and wrap your head around. Like, and you're way deeper into it than I ever was, but it was hard to just stop when you feel big and strong. Like, I've never been as big and strong as when I worked with you and I fucking felt like a machine, you know? Life was shit back then in a lot of different ways, but the gym was awesome. Yep. And, uh, I mean, at the time I kind of chose to change the direction I was in, but then I was forced to as well. But so have you found that's a hard thing to wrap your head around, your head around sort of expecting that to change at some point in the future, like um, not being able to potentially 
like better your old self in the strength world? So I look at it as there's always something to be improved upon. Maybe I can't improve my squat bench and deadlift, but maybe I can improve my body composition or my fitness level or some objective measure that I could work towards. So as long as I have something like that, I think I'll be totally okay. Uh, But as far as like, I never, there was a point where I identified myself and and wrapped a lot of who I was into my performances. And that led me down a path that ultimately resulted in injuries. And, you know, you push too hard and, and, and take some liberties that you shouldn't necessarily be taking with, you know, nutrition, training, etc. It always comes back to bite you in the ass. Mm-hmm. And through those injuries, I've been forced, similar to the way you were, is you're forced to kind of look at what training is for you. Right. Training has never been about the numbers for me. It, it may have seemed that way at certain points where I was chasing these things. Right. But it's always been about a pursuit of personal development. It's, I am learning lessons under this barbell that will transition into my life and right. make me a better person. It was, it, was my, it was my anchor to my routine. It was my anchor to reality. Right. And it has been since I was 17. Never once did that factor in to... I'm going to squat 800 pounds. I'm going to bench blah, 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 or whatever. I kind of tricked myself into that. Mm -hmm. But through these injuries, it's kind of forced me back to that. So as long as I can keep training and keep pushing my body in some type of objective way, I'm going to be totally okay. And I've learned to, to really value that and know when it's time to back off. Right. And that's the hardest part, to be honest. Yeah, well, there's consequences when you push when you shouldn't. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting, like identifying as a power lifter. Something that I've, I'm mostly on the medical side, but like I don't. It's been odd, especially this year, like being on the podcast, whatever, starting to get out a little bit more. Like being introduced to people by way of bringing awareness to my health problems is an odd sidestep for me to kind of be like, are these people going to associate me directly to a health disease versus like know me as a person who, if I meet you in person or like we just walk by in the street, I sort of have an invisible disease. So it's when you become aware of things, you see my scars, whatever, it brings a bit of awareness that way. So it's been a weird thing. Like, I don't want to be identified as a diseased guy because mm-hmm. it's an odd thought for me but at the same time one I don't have any control over that if that's where people's minds go two that's my internal dialogue you know fighting with itself like people are probably thinking this but people probably aren't right mm-hmm. but to correlate that over to like powerlifting versus powerlifter I found like when people ask well tell me about yourself you know who are you what do you do it's like I'm just a guy who does stuff I enjoy. So I'm not a power lifter. I've never been a bodybuilder. I'm not a musician or a guitar player. You know, there's all these things I love to do, but I don't consider myself as an er version. Mm-hmm. I'm like a power lifting guy mm-hmm. or like a guitar playing guy. Yep. So it's, but then with health, it's been weird for me to like, I know I'm not just a cholesterol disease, right? But now it's weird. It's like, 
So when people meet you as a powerless or strength coach now, yeah, moving forward, it's like, what do you introduce yourself as? You know, I'm Paul O'Neill, I do stuff, right? Like I'm a coach. It's an odd dialogue shift I find internally, like to get over. So I actually like that's part of kind of the transition that I'm going through right now. Like, sure. Um, I identified very strongly with my past life. Mm-hmm. Um, for those those of you who don't know, like I recently went through a divorce, and like I identified very strongly as a as a husband. Sure. Um, and I heard a podcast with Mark Bell, who's like, Mark's one of the most polarizing figures in powerlifting. He does so many amazing things for the sport, but he does some things that people aren't really fans of. But someone, he was on Hayden and Steffi's <coughs> hybrid podcast, and he, like, tell the people about who you are. And he introduced himself first and foremost as a husband and father. Yes. And I was like, whoa. Like, I, I hope people stop and understand, like, for all this guy has done in business and in the sport, he identifies first and foremost as a husband and father. Yeah. So while I'm no longer a husband, I don't have kids. You know, I'm Paul O'Neill. I have two amazing dogs. I have a great brother, amazing nieces and nephews, Mm -hmm. you know, parents that love me very much. And I'm trying to accomplish something pretty cool in my life. Not necessarily sure what that's going to be yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But as far as, you know, being a coach, being a mentor, being an educator, those are, those are roles that I play within my life. Um, I do, I do attach a lot of my self-worth to those things, mm-hmm. but be, only because I've put in the work to get there. Right. And they are things that I value, but it's not who I am. Right. Um, I'm Paul. Like, and that's just it. Like, when you introduce yourself to a new group of people, they're not looking to hear, hi, my name's Paul. Right? It's like, great, my name's fucking Steve and whatever. Like, Okay, but then how? Where do you go from there? Like, it's a weird conversation. I usually go with coach. Like, if, sure. I'm, if I'm in a, like if I'm in a social situation like that, yeah. I usually go with coach. But uh, it, it, it's interesting you bring this up because in my role as a rehab specialist, I work with individuals on disability trying to go back to work, mm-hmm. and we always talk about work being rehabilitative in nature. So it's, hi, my name is Paul. I'm on disability right. versus hi, my name is Paul. I work as a rehab specialist. So in getting people back to work, they're regaining a big piece of their identity. It's what makes them productive. It's what gives them purpose. Um, And I'm pretty grateful that I have a few things that give me purpose, a few things that provide me perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I could ever be in a position where I was just one of those things. It's odd, eh? There's so many people are, I find. Some people are just comfortable. Like, um, live to work versus working to live. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm battling with it a little bit too. I mean, I do work a lot and it's how much of this is really towards an end that I'm going to be happy with. Right. And how much of it is just working to work? How much is necessary? How much money do I really need to make? Mm-hmm. How much suffering for every dollar am I willing to put in? Right. If you told me, Paul, you could work for the rest of your life as a strength coach online or in person whatever and make $150,000 a year like this is just a ballpark number I have no idea what my number would be but uh, I'd probably be like okay that's cool but I'd probably still find other things to do yeah but would it be work related or hobby related exactly right like that's I think especially in my case for example like 
working is a limited resource now for me. And so it's like, what are my hobbies that I still have access to, right? So I haven't played more guitar. You know, I got to play all awesome. these things, right? But it's like, I don't know what I want to do with my time because I work seven days a week for, you know, a year and a half and, you know, whatever, all this stuff. So it's like, I don't know. I, I did live to work. And then it's like, well, now I'm almost forced to this semi-retired position. So I'm kind of refining kind of my passion or my, you know, they call it fire or whatever. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Cliche, but it's neat to try and fill the time. It's like, well, I don't want to just be bored all day. I'm not a stagnant type person. Yeah, I could never do. But I have a lot of trouble sitting still mm -hmm. and I'm trying to figure out why. Sure. Um, yeah. Because that in itself is something to dive into. Absolutely. Um, but I do have a lot of interests and I do really, you know, get my fire lit by helping others. So like mm -hmm. in my day job as a rehab specialist, I help people get back to work. In my coaching, I help people achieve their goals, whether it be nutrition or training. Um, with the MetriLife app, it's I'm empowering others to help themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's those connections, those that influence to positively impact someone's life. That's the direction that I want to go. And it's tangible now with MetriLife too. Exactly. Right? So that's, that's pretty cool. Exactly. It's tangible. It's possible. <clears throat> now, I don't know what role I'm going to play in that as we move forward because we're a young company. We have two people in our company. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... If you look at any of the bigger companies that have, you know, blossomed in terms of apps, you look at like Calm or Headspace or any of those companies, those are multi-million dollar companies with hundreds of employees. Right. I don't know how to run a business like that. No. I can learn and I am learning, making a ton of mistakes and it's super fun and awesome. Right. But maybe I don't fit into that. Maybe I am. Maybe I do fit into that. I don't really know. I don't think Jay knows. I just think that we're both super excited to be building something awesome. Mm -hmm. And it's a legacy, right? Yeah. And like, I don't think anyone, when I leave this world, whether it be tomorrow or 40 years from now, I think you'd be hard pressed to have anyone remember my total. Right. I don't know what it is right now. So it was, I guess, it was 1960. Yeah. So. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I probably wouldn't remember either, but yeah. I mean, it's impressive anyway. It's, like, it's a big, it, big it, enough total. It was a good total sure, at the time, yeah. and, and yeah. now it's still okay now, but I'm totally okay with people not knowing I was even a competitive lifter. Right. As long as I helped a ton of people. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I could have said that a few years ago. Right. Um, but training is and always will be something that's just for me. Mm -hmm. mine um, and it'll never come to a point where I do it for anyone else ever again like if you tell me like Paul I'm going to sponsor you with equipment blah 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 but you have to do X number of meets a year and yeah. you have to do this this and this I'm like no thanks yeah um, alright um, and that's one thing I really enjoyed about like working with Brian Carroll is like Brian just wanted me to be a, a, a positive ambassador for his company and if I competed and did well great mm-hmm and uh, I have a call with him actually on Tuesday just to touch base. I haven't spoken to him in a while. And I mean, that relationship is something I'll cherish forever because he gets it. Right. He gets that training is yours. Competing is for you. If you break records along the way, that's fucking sweet. But it shouldn't be what it's about. Right. Do you find for yourself it's been like a, an anchor of something within your control? Like I thought oh, for so myself, that's... 
Where where do you think that came from for you? Have you thought of that at all? Um, I'm sure it came from childhood. Yeah. Because like, even so, like I played basketball up till the university. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know, I'm five foot nine and a half and yeah. white. Tallest. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I had a nasty jump shot. I had great ball control. I didn't have the best fitness. But I played at a very high level, and I was never genetically gifted, mm-hmm. but I worked harder than everybody else. Right. And I was not afraid to put myself in the fire, mm-hmm. so to speak. And my ability to grind and to work hard, I feel, is something that I've transitioned into every aspect of my life. So, and it's with, completely within my control. I, cannot, I can control when the ball leaves my fingers if it's going to go in. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So everything that leads to that point is in my control. Once the ball leave my hand, leaves my hands, if something outside my, my vision field, someone comes in and blocks the shot, I have no control over that. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, the ball went in. So more often than not in life, as long as I work really hard and control the controllables for me, good things will happen. Right. Um, Training for me also coming back to it as an anchor, right? So if I look at my lifestyle and things that I want to do as variables in an equation. So if I'm trying to achieve a result, the less unknown variables in the equation, the more easily I can predict the result. So I recently started uh, losing weight. So I was like, okay. I'm going to try and lose weight. I want to get really lean for the summer. That's okay. I'm going to have to control my diet. So that's a variable I can take out of the equation. I know training is going to go well because I have a great coach. Okay, cool. That's out of the equation. That's controllable. Um, I hired a coach for my nutrition and uh, Simon's done a great, Simon Chang from Hybrid Nutrition's done a great job with me. I mean, I'm pretty easy, pretty robotic when it comes to it, but it's a control thing, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, that's my element of control. I control the variable, it gets removed. I was also going through a very, uh, a period of my life with a lot of turmoil. So I knew that my lifestyle, like in terms of stressors, was completely outside my control. So to be able to cling to something that provided me control was calming. You know, I established, I became very routine oriented. Over the last year or so, I've become very routine oriented. And if my routine stays stable, more things are within my control. Mm -hmm. My thought process now that my lifestyle has calmed down, I have much less external stress, is how do I remain grounded within these controllables to allow myself the time to enjoy outside of them? Mm -hmm. Because that time that used to be taken up with worry and stress is now, quote unquote, free for me to enjoy life. But because I've been so grounded within this stressful you know, situation for so long, I've almost lost my ability to do that. Right. So when I, you ask me what my goal is, it's like, I want to learn how to be present and I want to find more time in my life to do that. That's the freedom part. Right. So I wrote a blog post for our website, uh, metrolife.com, uh, but like discipline equals freedom. We're talking about like Jocko Willink's right. idea. Jordan Peterson talks about that yeah. too. Yeah, Jordan yeah. Peterson's fantastic. And uh, so, I mean, 
him is like discipline equals freedom because the more you take care of up front, the less unknowns there are later on. Right. I look at it as the more I take care of up front, the more time I have in the back end to enjoy and be present. Mm-hmm. So the freedom piece for me is presence. Right. So now in my, this period of my life, it's like, how do I get to that? How do I enjoy that? And that's, it's a pretty cool time to, you know, COVID has slowed everything down and really forced me to evaluate things mm-hmm. and being able to do that and really ask myself the hard questions of like, what are you working so hard for? Yeah. And like, you do lose sight. If you keep your head down and keep working without checking in and seeing like, where am I going? You're just going to end up banging your head against the wall over and over and over yeah. again. You're fighting to get all this free time, but you don't have anything in mind of what you want to fill it with. You just, the, the goal isn't to accumulate free time. The right. goal is to accumulate free time in order to enjoy life more. But what do you do in order to do that part? It's like, you, you work so hard for so long, you get time, and then you get some, and it's like, you know, it's like a dog catches a bird. It's like, oh shit, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. So you just kill it and carry on. Yeah. Go find another bird. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I've, I have trouble with, you know, you're, you talk about like self-love. Mm-hmm. So my default self-talk is super negative. So it's like self-improvements through self-hate is something yeah. that Matt Vincent would say. Um, I don't hate myself. In fact, I've shifted a lot towards like this negative voice in my head is pushing me to become the best version of myself. It becomes toxic or negative when it's pushing me to a point that it's negatively affecting my life, which it has at times. But when we're striving for an ideal, we don't improve ourselves because we hate ourselves. We improve ourselves because we love ourselves and we want to be better. We want to function at the highest level, physically, mentally, emotionally. So we learn, we adapt, we level up. And that ideal that we're striving for, the closer we get to it, the higher our self-esteem gets. The closer we get to it, guess what? That ideal will keep getting bigger and better and better because we're always trying to be the best versions of ourselves. Where health and balance comes in is every step of the way, being present and content with where you are. That's where I struggle. I think just the little takeaway, at least what's going on in my mind right now, is like the flexibility and process to bring that back. It's like when you have this ideal in your mind as to what a bigger and better you looks like, and then that option is taken away out of your control. Right. How do you shift and pivot to just be okay with that instead of, so something I try to talk about a bit is this, we have this inherent drive to get back to way, like where we used to be. Like when something happens, it's like, fuck, my life fell apart. And now what? Well, now what is when I get back to there, mm-hmm. I'll be fine and I'll be happy. But it's like yesterday I wasn't happy. I just now think I was because now I'm way less happy because I lost my, my end goal in sight. But it's like if that goal goes away permanently per se, you need to find a new goal and that can be like absolutely crushing, you know? Yeah. And that's something I didn't realize was such a big thing 
for myself as well, but like I've come to terms with that a lot of times and I never put a lot of thought into it. It just kind of rolls the punches, right? But then as other people talk to me or I have conversations with other people, I guess, it's like, I guess I didn't really think about it that way. I just had to do it. But so many people just don't. You don't take the time. Like how many people, like how many people go through life never actually checking in with themselves and asking themselves like, am I happy? Right. A big realization for me the last little bit has been, no, I'm not happy right now. Exactly. So now you look at it as like, what can I do? What can I, I get stuck. So I, so I go through this inner dialogue. Am I happy? No. My immediate gut check response is, what do I have to do to be happy? Right. <laughs> yeah. Not like, don't just stand there and do something. And Jay, Jay spoke about this uh, on a recent podcast. Like there's two types of people. There's don't do anything, just stand there, process. Or don't just stand there, do something, mm. action. Right. There's a balance. Mm-hmm. There's a balance to be had between the two. And For me, COVID has been an opportunity to just stand there. Yeah. and process and think because there's nothing I can do right now outside of my day to day, which to be honest, hasn't necessarily been affected very much, but like I can't really do much day to day to change whether I'm happy or not. So why not take the time to evaluate mm-hmm. and think what is really going to make me happy? What are some steps that I could take to get there? Are these feasible? Yes or no? Can I action them now? Yes or no? Is that really what I need to do? You know, so it's like pausing, reflecting, and looking within yourself. That introspection just doesn't happen for a lot of people. And it, it mm-hmm. maybe it takes a catastrophic event or a traumatic event mm-hmm. or a big life change. I know for me, there's been a couple in the last, in the last few years, like, you know, I, I burnt out pretty bad last May, had some panic attacks and I went through some anxiety that I've never had before in my life. Mm-hmm. But that provided me an opportunity to check in with myself and say, what's really going on here? Mm-hmm. And I've not been shy to, to, to tell people that like going to therapy and speaking to a psychologist is like the best decision I ever made. Right. Because that helped guide my internal dialogue, understand more about myself, my drivers, my motivations. And it's, it was the catalyst for me being able to make these life transitions in a healthy manner. Um, I mean, that's what life is about. Like that's how, for me, it wasn't necessarily addition by subtraction, but it was like, what do you really want in life? Right. And maybe that means taking a step back from something you thought you previously really wanted to be able to move forward in the direction you think you need to go. Right. That's a really hard decision to make. Well, especially when typically our gut reaction is to perceive that as failure at that thing. Right? Oh my God, man. I went through that so hard. Yeah. I mean, like to, to take something that I identified so strongly with and say, I fail. I put everything into this and it didn't work. Yeah. Well, you know, in the context of a relationship, it takes two to tango. Right. And, I'm very grateful that my former spouse was like, we communicated tremendously throughout the process and we just weren't in a spot where we could come back together. Mm-hmm. And it was through the introspection and through the learning about myself that I was, that for me anyway, I was able to 
approach it in a, a mature manner. And, and now I, I know I have a friend for the rest of my life. Right. We may not be, uh, we may not be partners anymore, but like to be able to say that she's going to be my friend for the rest of my life, I'm very grateful for it. And it's that gratitude of a simple thing that could have been perceived in such a negative way. Mm. Like I'm grateful for the time we spent together. I'm grateful for the learning that I went through. I'm grateful for the hurt that I went through because it taught me so much. Now, how do I use that to move forward? Right. So what are your thoughts on, so it's great to be aware of what might bring you happiness when you have time to enjoy it. But that's something I found trouble with is it being able to accept happiness, right? There's this whole other psychological deep dive of like, do I feel like I deserve to be happy? Oh, you know, yeah. is it something, is it selfish for me to be happy when other people that I love are less happy based off of my own perception of their lives or the communication I have with them? It's like, who am I to strive to be happy when so many people I love aren't? And it's this whole, it's a weird backdoor that it, it wasn't a big one for me to navigate, but it was one I wasn't aware of until I thought about it. I'm like, oh shit, maybe that would be a problem. Is it a problem? Like, what are your thoughts on being able to accept happiness regardless of other people, but like allowing yourself to feel that happiness when you do these things that you tell yourself will bring you happiness. It's like we, or we work for a goal and we get the goal and instantly we drop the goal and get a new goal instead of sit there and enjoy like, oh fuck, like I just did all that. Yeah. I'm happy about this. This is awesome. Instead of like, sweet, pass, next. Yeah. It's that, that being present once the accomplishment is there, fuck, it's, it's been hard to just oh, to get there, you know? So that's one of the hardest things for me as well. Like, I mean, you talk about like, do I deserve to be happy? Mm. Well, that's that negative self-talk in my yeah, head. Like, for sure. like, Hey, you did something great, but yeah but it wasn't good enough, but you didn't get magna cum laude, but you didn't, you know? Yeah. It's like, you minimize. All right. Like even people like I've accomplished some pretty cool things in my life, but if anyone ever said that to me, I'm like, Oh no, no big deal. Yeah. Right. Same. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, no, man, this is so crazy to hear about. It's like, nah, it's I'm just Bill. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Exactly. So I, I do diminish to a certain extent, but, Part of that for me is like, I'm not done yet. Right. I, I, there's still so many other things I want to accomplish. It's part of the drive to go. It's part of the drive to go, but yeah. being able to accept and, and be content at each step of the way is, mm -hmm. is a huge challenge. I've never had to deal with the guilt of this, of happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm a big believer that you control your own life. Yeah, like, like for sure. You know, I have a tattoo on my arm of Atlas, um, holding up the world. Cause to me, you are the architect of your world. Mm -hmm. You shape the world that you live in every single day. Your actions and the consequences of those actions shape your world. Um, so I don't necessarily, like, I don't want my happiness to come at the expense of somebody else. Don't get me wrong. Right. But if I'm happy and someone isn't, that's likely their fault. Yeah. And it couldn't, it could, it might not be, but it's not my responsibility. Yeah. Your emotions or their emotions aren't your responsibility. Right. It's their reaction to the situation or the circumstance. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So sure. that piece I haven't been, I haven't dealt with, mm -hmm. but in terms of my own happiness, it's definitely something that I'm working on. Like, mm -hmm. and, and like still going to therapy and still working on like, you know, not necessarily, I'm, I'm starting to get a much clearer picture of what it means to be happy for me. Um, but then being content every step of the way during that is, is a really big challenge. Do you have any common advice that you 
find yourself giving to your clients um, with regards to just general life and happiness versus training. Like if you're not so much maybe a life coach, but like when their life stressors are high based off of the metrics, yeah. do you have a common advice? It's like, you say this all the time that you could give to anybody listening. That's like, you know what? This has helped a lot of people in my experience, you know? Yeah. The biggest piece of advice that I always return back to is number one, pausing and zooming out. Because mm-hmm. when we're pushing hard towards a goal, we get this like laser focus, uh, like tunnel vision kind of thing. For sure. And if something goes wrong, all you see is that wrong thing. So let's use the example of diet. You've been dieting terrific for like 10 weeks or eight weeks or six, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you're faced with a decision that you have to go out to dinner with your family. You know you can't follow your macros to the best of your abilities. And you end up blowing it and having dessert and like a bunch of stuff that you normally wouldn't have. And you go way over. You have a cheat meal. Quote, unquote, cheat meal. Yeah, right. Um, oh, I just ruined everything. I'm going to screw the diet, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop. Look at the big picture. If you were in a 500-calorie deficit, Every week for the last 10 weeks, that's 50,000 calories that, you know, and and it's like, okay, (laughs) that's a big meal. Yeah. You didn't undo everything. And what you did do is provide yourself a learning opportunity for next time of, I can do a better job planning. Right. So let's learn from it. Let's move on. Did you enjoy your meal? Right. Yeah. Be present. Yeah. Enjoy the family time. Enjoy the food. Mitigate the stress and the buildup of the bullshit and fucking sit down and be there. Yeah. Yeah. Like I had this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday um, because I invited her to go eat gelato. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's like, well, I didn't didn't calculate on my macros. I was like, okay, cool. That's fine. But next time, like we should do it. And she said, okay. You know, but I always have anxiety about going out to eat because... I don't know how to count it. And I was like, well, you know, for me, I just went online and I looked up like what one cup of sorbet was right. and it was around 50 grams of carbs. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm just going to order sorbet and I'll assume it's 50 grams of carbs. If it's a couple cups, maybe it's a hundred. I'll take a hundred off my day. Yeah. I'll allocate it to that. I don't know what flavor is going to be more or less carbs. Yeah. I don't know what, yeah. if the serving's actually a cup or not. I'm going to do my best. Yeah. I'm going to really enjoy that sorbet because it's something I really wanted to have. And then I'm going to get on with my day and, you know, go back to my normal eating the next day. Yeah. And she, she was kind of like, I never thought about it like that. I never thought about it, that it could just be doing your best. And the old adage of do your best with what you have, where you're at. Exactly. Applies all, all across the board when it comes to diet. So like, Taking a pause and looking at the big picture, so zooming out from where you are to say, within the context of everything that I'm doing right now, Mm -hmm. is this the end of the world or is this such a bad thing? 99% of the time, the answer is no. Mm -hmm. Unless you like literally like inject yourself with lard, you're probably not going to get fat from one meal. Right. Um, But I mean, I wouldn't put it like, 
you go to the Calgary Stampede and you have like some Stampede food, like <laughs> yeah. you could put yeah. yourself in a nice little surplus. Yeah, get a little alcohol that oh, kind of redirects some of the nutrients, and you're kind of yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So pause and zoom out would probably be my my advice. No, well, something that like Joel talks about a bit, just in his own life, he's like he's a guy who will work extra hard to have that extra thing. And I'm not that it's a good or a bad way to do things, but it's just it. It's something that I've definitely done before coaching, like or getting coaching. It's like I know it's not necessarily the right thing to do, but it's also motivation for me to push myself harder right now. And I kind of justify that thought process to myself. It's like, okay, is this a healthy thought process? Probably not. But I push myself harder right now, which is good, and that's driving me better right now, maybe more stimulus, whatever. And then if I just fuck up my diet tonight, based off of that, I don't have the guilt, which means tomorrow I can wake up and feel better overall. And like, I still train hard, so I'm proud of that. I still enjoy the food. I'm happy about that. And then today is a new day, so whatever. So it's a, just the framing is different, but that's something I've done a lot in my, I guess, 15 years, you know, yeah. lifting. It's, it's been like, just push harder for another five minutes and justify the two cups of gelato later, you know? Yeah. It's how <laughs> yeah, like it's, but, it's six of one and a half dozen of yeah. the other, whether you accumulate, if you want to come down to science, like if you accumulate a bigger deficit that day through physical activity that affords you more carbohydrates, right? fire away, bud. Sure. Whenever you're going to come up to roadblocks, whether it's life training, nutrition, anything, take a second, just a second whether it's a deep breath, whether it's, you know, you put your head down, whether it's you close your eyes, whether you do a combination of all three, mm-hmm. just pause and take a step back and look at what happened within the context in general. You know, nutrition is an easy one to point to because you can say, okay, you know, calories in, calories out. Well, training is an even more complex one because there's so many other factors that go into success within a training session. So you talk about, oh, the weights aren't moving the way I want them to today. Who's to say the way you wanted them to move is appropriate? Mm-hmm. If you deadlifted heavy earlier in the week, your squats probably aren't going to look awesome. So being able to, to accept and say, okay, this is my situation. I'm accepting of my situation. Mm-hmm. How do I make the most of it? Right. How do I do my best? Yeah. As long as I do my best, I'm going to be fine. Something I think about a lot myself is like, it's something actually Ken, taking a course with Ken Kanakin, kind of, but why isn't always a question that requires asking? It's very much, sometimes things just are, you need to accept that in order to minimize like your stress basically. And so many times it's like, well, why this, why that, why did this happen? Like out of my control, this thing happens. Why did it happen? Why did this cause it to happen? Chain reaction, bullshit, anxiety type mindset. It's like, well, hang on. Does why even matter? Because a lot of the time, the reason something happened doesn't particularly matter because it's already fucking happened. So one, if you're curious, sure, it keeps you up at night. You can't sleep, whatever. That might go away regardless of that. Again, don't care why. 
If you can't change it, eventually you need to accept it. So if you can accept it now or in a month, your stress response is going to be significantly different. Right. So like, if I can't change it, do I need to know why? No. Then who gives a fuck? This is the way it is. What do I do with it? It's It's been a challenge for me in like relationship senses and like in whatever degree, but it's like, that's great. All this shit happened. Some of that sucks, some of this good, whatever. Here we are. Now what? What can we do? Whatever. What happens? And it's I think it's part of my like my mentality just in general too. It's like, fuck your hard failure. Cool. Can you change that? No. Now what? Hmm. Don't know. Yeah. Where do I go from here? What happens? Yeah, now what? So I think why causes people a lot of stress. I think sometimes it's a very good question to ask in reflection or in retrospect. Yeah. But like in the moment, that's helped me a lot. Like, do I need to know why right now? No. Can I come back later? Yeah, if I choose to, when I'm in a clearer mind, I can reflect back and think, I wonder why that happened. Can I improve for next time? Can I stop that from happening again? You know? Sometimes, like, worry is an interesting double-edged sword Mm -hmm. because there's two outcomes. You're either going to worry about something that's already happened or will or will happen in the future. So no matter what, it's going to happen. Yeah. Or you're going to worry about something that never happens. Yeah. So either way, yeah. you are inconveniencing yourself twice as long as you need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it brings you back to like when my, when my dog passed away. It's like, why did he pass away? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, he's gone. Me knowing why isn't necessarily going to make me feel any better. Right. Like we have theories about what happened, but he passed away very suddenly at four and a half years old. Yeah. There was no good reason why he passed away. And sometimes why brings guilt? Then it's like, well, then maybe I could have done something. Exactly. Exactly. And and I know in my heart that I love that guy as much as I could. Mm -hmm. I know he knew that and he had a great life. Mm -hmm. You know, so we move on. That's right. I got a painting of him up on my wall. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Like, I'm never going to forget that. It's tattooed on my body. Yeah, right. You know, so. You've got space to do a Mount Rushmore on your leg, too, so. I'm going to get it done. Yeah, pork chop definitely is going on. When he's fully grown. Yeah, give give him a year or two. Yeah, for for sure. For sure. But whatever, let's do a speed route. Sure, man. Let's start. Uh, It's kind of a quick answer thing, whatever. You can expand if you want to. Okay. We'll start off. If you had to pick a squat, bench, or dead, what's your favorite? Squat. What's your least favorite cue someone cues on the squat then? Head up. Head up? Yeah. I hate it. <laughs> Why is that? Well, because the natural default when someone says head up is to look at the sky. Yeah. So you end up in this like cocked neck yeah. kind of like position. Uh, I guess that could go along with like chest up, mm-hmm. um, which usually ends up with like butt shooting back yeah. and all that stuff. And, like, more extension. Yeah. yeah. Or the other the other option to that question would be screaming literally the most obnoxious thing. Like just anything that comes into your mind, just <laughs> screaming it. Like yeah. have a purpose. Like if you're not the guy's coach, shut up. <laughs> up is probably my most laughable. It's like obviously when they're squatting, you want to end up. Yeah. Like you don't yell down like fuck. Anyway. Uh ass or titties. Oh man, both. Yeah, good answer. <laughs> uh, what's your go-to um, indulgent food? A cheat meal, if you want to call it that. You sushi. Sushi? What kind? 
all you can eat. All of it? Yeah. It has to be. All Balls. you can eat. Uh, I do a lot of Nigiri. Okay. Um, and then I'll finish with some rainbow rolls. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I like the reason I go with sushi is cause like I love ice cream. I love pizza, but dairy just messes me up. Mm-hmm. But if I know I'm like, I want to have an indulgence and I don't want to feel like crap the next day, yeah. sushi hundred percent. Right. The next day, man, you just feel like a fucking brick shit house. Yeah. And your potatoes aren't in the meal. It's, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, What's one good thing or one thing you're good at that nobody would guess? Oh man. Or a passion of yours that you know people don't know about. I mean, there's a lot of things I used to do that I used to be pretty good at. Uh, I would say basketball. Like, yeah. You know, I once hit 217 free throws in a row. Wow. Yeah. So how long does that take? Uh, it was over the course of like two seasons. I didn't miss a free throw. <laughs> In game, yeah. Wow, that's your okay. I used to be good, man. Didn't know that. Yeah, there you go. There it is. Yeah. Uh, morning sex or night sex? Both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in any kind of any time of day. Um, if you could train with one person, who would it be that you haven't trained with yet? That I haven't trained with yet. Yeah. I think I would really enjoy training with Kirk Karwaski. Why is that? Because he's just a fucking gorilla yeah. of a human being. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in terms of like people I've met and just haven't had the opportunity to train with, mm-hmm. um, I'd probably have to go with like Dan Green. Sure. Uh, simply because like, you know, Dan was was coming up in popularity when I was when I was getting into powerlifting and. You know, my favorite powerlifter before he became one of my best friends with Jay. Right. Jay Nero. Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, got to meet um, Jeremy Hamilton and train with him a few times. And I've trained with Cade Weber, like, every day for yeah. a couple of years. And Willie Albert. Like, I've been truly, truly gifted with the quality of lifters I've been training with. Like, right. Like even when I was still in in my second master's degree at Robert Morris, like I was training with Casey Williams. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, who who can say that I've done that? Like I've trained with, I've trained at Westside, I've trained at Elite, I've trained at you know any number of powerlifting gyms around around North yeah. America. And like you say, like who would you like to train with? Probably someone that I would never have the opportunity to do. Like, because right. there might come a time when I could train with Dan. Like, what, I'm if sure, I'm, yeah. what if I'm on vacation in California yeah. and I want to go to Boston? You like, can fly down to Boston and show up and probably make it happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and like we've had dinner, like him, him and myself and a group of people. So, like, he yeah. knows who I am. And it's like, okay, well, training with Dan would be pretty cool because I think he'd be a fucking savage. Oh, yeah. I just like those dudes that go, can go to a place where pain doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That's a really cool thing. And like there have been periods in my powerlifting quote unquote career that I've been able to do that. I'm finally back in a place where I think I could do that now. Right. Um, you think you will? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I'll probably. <laughs> I was toying with the idea. Yeah. I am like 2021. I'm putting some knee wraps on. I'm going to train squats. On sure. The you got to fly close to the sun again. I do. Yeah. It's something. It's addicting. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm definitely not going to take any of the same liberties that I used to. Uh, with my health, right. but I'm going to push as hard as I can towards a meet in 2021. Yeah. I'm going to compete at 220. I want to get that 2000 total because it, like, it's, it's an, 
it's just a, it's just a number, Yeah. but it's something that I've looked at for so long for sure. And I was so close. Mm -hmm. I was a bench press and a squat away. Like when I did that 1960, my third attempt squat was 835. My third attempt bench press was uh, 445, I think. Right. So it would have been 2000 on the nose. And what was your squat that day then? Or your deadlift that day? 725. Just for people to have an idea what this looks like. So 725 is my best deadlift. Um, I just missed 727 in February for an all-time PR because I fell asleep. Yeah. But that thing flew <laughs> off the floor. Heard, yeah, for sure. It was rolling. And then I just kind of passed out. Um, I mean, I mean I've, saw, I've squatted seven, 716 in knee sleeves mm. and 805 in wraps. In the gym, I've squatted 850. So like those numbers are there. Yeah. I think I can do them again. Just put them together, staying healthy. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then lastly, what did you have for supper last night? Eggs. Eggs and yeah. rice. <laughs> there. Yeah. For the record, you did not participate in a small birthday cake, which is understandable. Yeah. But uh, just for an idea. I could have had it. I yeah. could have had it. I was on a diet break last week, but I knew that I didn't want to feel terrible the next day, so I kind of put it off. And I did bring Tupperware to dinner. Yeah. Because sure. I'm a loser. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something I like to try and just convey. It's like, Thing your goals are possible if you're willing to do the things they require. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, you came over to a birthday. It was just hanging out, but like yeah. a birthday dinner for me and whatever, and a bunch of people. But you still came. You got to hang out. You brought your own food. I don't think anyone like, gave a shit that I brought my own food. It's no. the fact that I showed up and was there. Yeah. And then we went on a walk, and it was awesome. Yeah. It's like it's not a. I think people have this idea that you need to sacrifice and miss out on so much stuff. And depending on your goal, I guess sometimes you do, but like, it's like, not always that hard. It's it not, it's not like, like two weeks ago, I went over to Stoon Ray's place mm-hmm. for a social distance barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and like, I knew we were having burgers. I knew that the, the it was going to be a little bit more fat than I'm used to. I, so I, you know what I did? I saved up some fat during the day. I didn't have peanut butter earlier in the day. Yeah. And I didn't have rice with one of my meals. I went over and I had two burgers with buns. No problem. And I enjoyed a dinner with my friends. Still ended up down in weight for that week on average. Yeah. Who fucking cares? Here, yeah. It's and like I haven't missed my macros since February fifth. Right. And that was hybrid. Yeah. The, like February. when I got home from hybrid on February fifth, yeah. I have not missed my macros a single time. That's amazing. Yeah. But to me, it, it's been so easy. Right. And that's why, because I don't cheat on my diet, that's why I can still eat close to 3,000 calories and still lose weight. Right. People don't get that. They're like, oh, I have to starve myself to lose weight. It's like, the only reason you have to starve yourself to lose weight is because you eat about 5,000 calories over maintenance two days out of the week. So if you average that out across the week, you're in a surplus now. Yeah. Your week is now a surplus and you're still not losing weight. Right. right. So and that, that's where, that's where people get screwed up. And I mean, I also haven't like, I'm down 15 pounds. I haven't done any cardio. Right. I just walk a lot. Yeah. It's like, okay, I can do that. I can and it's perceived, perceived. Yeah. It's so much easier like to do than sit on a fucking bike or a treadmill. Oh, uh, and it's something that is regenerative. Yeah. Like, I mean, walking is, is the best rehab. It's the best mental health booster. I have never come back from a walk feeling worse than when I left. 
No, same. How many times have you hopped on a bike or on a treadmill and been like, oh my God, I feel like garbage. Yeah, right. Yeah, my knees hurt or I'm fucking yeah. drained. My shoulders hurt. Yeah. I remember last time I died, I was telling you earlier, like I was doing an hour of cardio a day, like hard cardio, like 140, 150 beats per minute for an hour a day and eating 1600 calories. Yeah. I only weigh at that point, I only weighed six pounds less than I do now. Right. And you're, I think you're leaner now than you were. Uh, when I got, I'm I'm in the same ballpark, but when I was down at 215 and like super depleted and carved up, yeah. Oh man, I look nasty shredded. Yeah. So I want to get to that, but like as a maintenance, sure. That's kind of the goal right now. Jacked and tan. Jacked and tan. Summer man. (laughs) Yeah. Summer. I'm not married anymore. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Shirts. Shirts coming off. Oh, I don't think I. I think today was the first time I trained with my shirt on in about a week. Yeah. You're welcome. The Kept Instagram, it on for you. Yeah, the pants are coming off next, right? Your mom was mentioning how big your butt's up to your butt's got. So it's like... <laughs> take an insta-thought angle. That's right. That's right. Fuck. Um, but yeah, just to put a little perspective on that too, like you talked about hitting your goals just to kind of round things out. But you you helped me hit all of my powerlifting goals that I had from day one getting into it. So I can attest that it was a great feeling for sure. Like you say, about 2,000 pound total. Like, yeah. I got a 1265 total, but like I hit a double bodyweight squat. I hit a one and a half bench. I hit a two and a half deadlift. Yeah. Like four plates, three plates, five and a half plates. Yeah. I was like, it seemed unattainable just based off of my start point and like right. my health and everything. And then I fucking did it. And training with you and the coaching yeah. got me there. And like, it's, I've said it a lot of times, but that whole, I remember the session. I was in Pennsylvania deadlifting. It was 475 for three sets of two or two sets of three. I forget. Right at peaking almost. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck, well, I don't know if I can do this. And you, you reply back and like, you can do this because it's in your program. And I put it there and I only put it there because I know you can do it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that's easy. Yeah. I went to the fucking gym. I did the, the set and I'm like, dude, that was easy. Yeah. Like, it went awesome. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, I, I buy it. I, I still use that line all the time. But it's like, so I wouldn't put it. On, I would not put it on paper if I didn't believe you could do it. Right. And uh, sometimes that's all people need. It's like a little pat on the shoulder, but like, yeah. yo, you got this. Mm-hmm. And it just completely shifts their perspective. Absolutely. I hope they don't listen to that and think I'm bullshitting now. <laughs> I think if you can't hear that from your coach and believe it, you're with the wrong coach. I agree. People who get coaches and then question their coaches and ask their friends about their coaching, but their coaches coaching style. It's like, you're with the wrong coach. Why are you so unsettled right now? Yeah. Go with it and trust the process, see the results. And if you don't get the result you were after change coach or, you know, it's, and like, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm the best coach in the world because for one person I could be. And for the other person, I'm not going to be like, I'm a very, I'm a very black and white kind of person when it comes to training. Like I demand a lot from the people that I train. Mm -hmm. So if you are someone who's going to make excuses or isn't going to take responsibility to do the work, we're not going to work well together. Mm -hmm. And I have fired clients before I have had clients fire me and I'm totally okay with that. Yeah. Like I have no ego in this, in my, uh, in my nutrition coaching, like, uh, initial email that I send people, it literally says like, I'm not married to a methodology except the one you're able to follow. And that comes down to training too. Like right. 
I might think that you need to squat three times a week, but if you only want to squat once, then guess what? We'll squat once and we'll get the most out of it we can. Right. Um, you know, and, and that's, to me, that's what separates me, that flexibility of approach and having a, a large toolbox. Mm. And you expand that to kind of bring this whole conversation to, to a whole. It's like, I have a big toolbox when it comes to training my clients. I'm trying to expand my toolbox when it comes to my own life. Right. And so that parallel being drawn between training and life is always going to be there. Absolutely. That's it. No, I think that's a great, uh, it's a great close. I don't know what the fuck you call it. Full circle. There it is. Conclusion. Yeah. It's a circle. So how do people find you? Like, do you have a, an Instagram for your clients or? I don't have an Instagram yeah. for my clients. Yeah. I probably should. Uh, but my Instagram is at Paul O'Need. Mm-hmm. Um, you can DM me on there for coaching inquiries. Um, you can find the Metri Life app, uh, which is something that I created along with my co-founder, Jay Nira. Um, we call it the intelligent approach to living healthier, happier, and stronger. Uh, it's a lifestyle tracking app that provides reminders and recommendations on how to you know, live your strongest life. Uh, you can find that at at MetriLife underscore M-E-T-R-I-L-I-F-E underscore or www.metrilife.com. And uh, in response to COVID uh, and people being in a position of financial hardship, we actually made the core functionality of the app free. Uh, which I'm Uh pretty excited about. Yeah. I mean, we started the company to help people and if making it free helps more people, we're on board with that a hundred percent. No, that's great. Um, Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming. I guess I came up to Ottawa. You came up to Ottawa and hanging out out at my new house. It's good to see you again. That's it too. Yeah. It's something I always recommend to people. If you can donate blood, make an appointment and donate. You just save a life. Uh, because it's been me, so trying to encourage that. I gotta do that. Now I can. Yeah, there you go. Reason I haven't had any tattoos in a long time. Now yeah, right now all the shops are closed, so after COVID, there's no excuse not to donate because there's no tattoos about. Yeah. Done. Unless you're doing needle drugs. But anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks for coming out, man. Thanks, man. See Appreciate you, man. it. Cheers.